you are invited as we delve into the unhinged. Get out of the grave, Alan. The grotesque. My and the bizarre. Speaking, what do you want? Whether you asked for it or not, this is Late Night Psychorama. And welcome back, everybody, to Late Night Psychorama, the podcast where you will get two movies that have nothing to do with each other, a la the glory days of the drive-in. There will be spoilers, so if you do not want the movies spoiled, please stop this. Go find the movies and watch them, and then come back and sit with us. And listen to us. I'm Joe. I'm Ryan. I'm Andrew. And tonight, our guest is Sam Deegan of Diabolic Magazine and co-host of the Daughters of Darkness and Evil Eye podcasts. Hi, Sam. Hi. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. You, you might be our single most accredited guest to date. I mean, sometimes being a workaholic is a bad thing, but sometimes... It it feels like a like a, oh I did do all these things. <laughs> uh, and your proudest achievement to date? This is a hard question. It's a tie between uh, last year I had this book come out on Fritz Lang's film M from 1931. Uh, so obviously I enjoy talking about serial killer movies, which is topical for today. <laughs> but. It's also tied with doing the commentary for Andy Milligan's Flesh Pot on 42nd Street, which Vinegar Syndrome put out last year. And for anyone who doesn't know who I am, most of my work at this point is either contributing, writing books or contributing to film books or doing commentaries. And that one was definitely probably my, at least a career highlight, a a top five bucket list moment. Fantastic! Wow. It's it, it's uh it's funny because w- before having you on here, we all tried to scour what what Blu-rays we had that you have commentary <laughs> on, and uh, it it, re- it occurred to me that I have a copy of Malabimba, right? That's how that said. Yep. And that you have commentary on that, but it's it's locked up in Philadelphia, and I can't mm. get it. And oh, no. but I I haven't listened to it, but after having seen that movie. Also, with a handful of people that knew you did a commentary, we were really curious what, what there was to say about that uh, very pornographic <laughs> castle movie. Um, well, so I do... I, every once in a while, I will get people who ask me, like, what could you possibly have to say about these movies? And I do write and do commentary work on hardcore films relatively often. So to me, they're no different from a film without hardcore so it's really just the same sort of thing talking about the cast and crew and the climate in which the film was made. In the case of Malabimba, it's directed by Andrea Bianchi, who most people know from his horror films. And I love him. I mean, he's sort of a master of sleaze. But we weirdly spent a lot of time talking about how the film, it's, it wasn't intended to be a hardcore film when it was shot, and it has these inserts, and there's been a lot of speculation over the years about whether the inserts involve the actual actors or, or they're just stand-ins, and so we spend like huh. half an hour dissecting 
what the difference is between a movie with inserts versus an actual hardcore it's it's a lot if you don't like hardcore movies but that's that's what we talk about our case is that it's just inserts and it's not actual actors i imagine that it comes down to being able to identify an individual nuance and a big pulsating uh penis or 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 (laughs) genital area on frame and and trying to decide whether or not the actor may or may not have those parts belonging to them oh definitely like i uh one of my other (laughs) proudest moments no it it sounds ridiculous but a lot of it it has to do with editing and what the camera angle is and when it's being cut away like i got to do the commentary for nine lives of a wet pussy which is (laughs) (laughs) wait one more time what's that title Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Abel, but it's it's Abel Ferrara's first film. And there's this scene, there's like a, I, probably a couple of hardcore scenes where he appears to be in it. And, you know, Ferrara historians, because people have, you know, written a ton about his work over the years, have gotten into a lot of arguments about, is it him? Is it not him? And so... I do think there is some value in talking about the situations in which these films were made and why directors felt the need to include scenes, like if they were pressured by producers. So I can be a little academic and dry, I think, for some people who just want to watch heads explode and see some boobs. (laughs) But I find it very exciting. I, I I, I appreciate it. Sadly, I'm here to uh, ruin the show for everybody. So I've, <laughs> hopefully you can bring some of that academic uh, point of view to this conversation before I start saying too much stupid shit and running my mouth. Well, you need both. <laughs> I agree. Or else it's no fun. It's true. I like highbrow and lowbrow mixed. Same. Joe, what are we watching or covering? Tonight we are covering Deranged. This is where the worst begins. The work of madness. Death! Of insane murder and lingering death. Deranged. For Mary, it was only the beginning. For Christine, it was already too late. For Dolly, the worst was yet to come. And only Mrs. Cobb knew what he would do next. Sometimes a story you don't want to believe is true. Crimes so brutal that the newspapers refuse to print their terrifying details. When the horror becomes unbearable, it is too late to scream. Deranged. Rated R. And we are also covering Tenement. The Tenement was their home their fortress, a place of refuge from the savage streets. Now, it's become a battlefield of rage, madness, and death. The enemy is unfeeling and unstoppable. Now, they've taken enough. Fighting back with a vengeance. He 
<laughs> Has anybody seen anything that they want to talk about for a minute before we get into them? Let's start with our guest. Hmm. Well, I have been... Uh, I, I have a book deadline coming up, so most of what I've been watching has been for work. But I did... So one of my favorite things to do is I have these monthly movie marathons at my house that are usually very specifically themed because I, if you can't tell, I'm super like OCD type A. Everything needs to like fit to a pattern. But <laughs> I haven't been able to do these marathons because of the quarantine. But... Mm. On 4th of July, I had sort of like a mini one with fewer people, and we watched American exploitation films, like, you know, like Chuck Norris's Invasion USA and stuff like that. And oh, yeah. I had never seen Invasion USA before, and <laughs> watching Richard Lynch blow up an entire suburban block with a rocket launcher was definitely one of the best moments in, in recent memory for me. Oh, shit. That's a Golan Globus movie, right? Yeah. They're the best. They're the best stupidity. They're so much fun. (laughs) The best stupidity. (laughs) That movie has the, that's the one with the siege in the mall, right? Yeah. Like the the assault on the mall. Yeah. It's one of those weird movies like, like uh, Cronenberg's Rabbit is also like this where you don't really think of them as being Christmas movies, but they have these weird Christmas mall sequences that erupt <laughs> in violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this adds a timeline to, to the movie. Oh, okay. I didn't think of that. And isn't that, that's like Southern Cal, it looks like it's shot in Southern California too, so it's extra disorienting. Yes, and there's a whole part that starts off in what looks like a swamp, and so it's... It represents a lot of different places in America, all being terrorized by Richard Lynch. What, uh, what were the highlights of that marathon? Um, we watched a bunch of different things. Like We started off with this movie called Ninja in the Claws of the CIA, which based on the title, I was convinced was going to be the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> but in fact, there are no ninjas in the movie. And it's, but, it's, it's, it's like Z-grade Bruce Lee exploitation, where it's actually a Hong Kong film that was kind of mistitled to involve ninjas, but it's basically about this, you know, kung fu master martial artist who gets blackmailed into training CIA operatives because they have to defend the United States against Russia, who has developed... It's hard for me to say this plot without laughing. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it. You're doing it. I'm trying. Russia You're has not... developed some sort of, like, covert martial art unknown to, you know, at least anyone in the West. Uh, but the real highlight was this movie called Hollywood Cop that I've seen a bunch of times, which is just (laughs) the greatest. (laughs) If you've never seen Hollywood Cop, it is either on Prime or YouTube, and you need to watch it immediately. Wow. I haven't seen any of these movies. I'm going to check them all out. Yeah, hell yeah, Andrew. Have you seen anything? Um, um, the only thing of note, I guess, I watched a few movies, but the, I watched The Boys Next Door. Have you, has anyone seen that movie? I don't know. It sounds like a porn. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's not. It, it, uh, it has Charlie Sheen in it and um, Maxwell Art. Caulfield. 
So it was a behind the scenes kind of pornographic experience <laughs> for everybody. Yeah, like I mean it was he they're both very young and uh it's Ugh. just basically um <laughs> especially when it gets to the porn it's real weird. But no, yeah, there's no porn. Um I'm pretty sure there's a nude scene, but uh uh but it's basically about these two kind of outcast bully types uh who graduate high school in their their little town and they decide to go to LA and just wreak havoc. And it's kind of like you're watching the very beginning stages of a serial killer. It was a really mean spirited movie, but it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. I'll take you up on that. Damn. Good recommendations all around. Joe, what about you? I haven't really watched anything lately, but please stop me. If, if if I've brought this up on the show before, because it just occurred to me have i mentioned the movie another son of sam that agfa put out it's on tubi they have a bunch of the american genre film archive stuff on there i don't remember you talking about it no okay the only reason why i'm bringing it up because it's actually been like a month or so since i watched it but i'm bringing it up just because it has a serial killer tie-in as you would imagine with a movie called another son of sam uh it's not great but it's pretty neat the way that it's done i mean if you if you see any of that agfa stuff it's you know you kind of know what you're what you're in for but it works pretty well there's a lot of like pov like stalking and stuff that goes on there's no actual tie in to like david berkowitz or anything but the one thing that happened during it actually not even during it in in the credits sort of before the movie actually even begins that actually chilled my blood was they go down a list of different uh like infamous uh serial and mass murder mm-hmm. cases in in chronological order and it when it gets to uh it gets to to the 70s and they bring up Ted Bundy but it says Ted, quote, like in quotes, Seattle Slayer. And then, like, what's known at that <laughs> Seattle point. Seattle Slayer? Right. Well, that, that's the thing that hit me so hard. I was like, wow, there was a time when no one knew <laughs> yeah. who the guy was. Where Ted Bundy wasn't like a household name. Right. Where everybody knows every fucking thing about him. Like, there was a point where this guy who's like one of the purest predators that's ever stalked the earth was completely unknown now we have smart tvs in our home that can figure out that you're a serial killer right and (laughs) and i was just like ooh, like that was real creepy like when that reality occurred to me Hmm. you know seeing this you know 40 years later so at least it did that yeah. And the movie doesn't necessarily get credit for that itself, but that moment <laughs> was in there. Well, that's good. That's really interesting because the movie I, I was talking about, The Boys Next Door, also starts with like a chronological uh, little description of various ser- serial killers. Yeah. It must have been a thing. Yeah, that's weird. It's a weird <laughs> sort of tie-in. Ryan, did you go? I didn't. No. Uh, I, I've been, you know, strangely busy despite being locked in a house. The, I did though watch a handful of the Netflix shorts, um, homemade, uh, homemade. Yeah. I watched, thank you, Joe. I watched, uh, 
a handful of the homemade shorts because our friend of the show, guest of the show, and roommate. Um, roommate of the and, show. Roommate of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dan Colin Duno uh, edited one of those features, and so that was kind of kind of his big break. He did one of the untitled features with Kristen Stewart called, uh, I believe it's referred to as Crickets, but also untitled. And uh, yeah, it's it's cool to see your buddy get a get a bit big break. So shout out to Dan for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, Joe, tell us about Deranged. Ezra Cobb has lived his life for his mother. When she dies, he loses what little grip he had on reality and descends into a macabre nightmare of necrophilia and murder. Yep. <laughs> Implied necrophilia, courtesy of the, the narrator journalist man who ap- appears on screen, whatever it's convenient. Oh, yeah, I love that. Is it... <laughs> They, they definitely imply he says it's it's an implied necrophilia mm-hmm. we don't know possible necrophiliac yeah <laughs> yeah but the the alternate title of the film is deranged confessions of a necrophile so that seems <laughs> yeah. like a pretty good indicator <laughs> yes <laughs> the most important thing to unpack is the fact that it's the guy from home alone <laughs> nah uh-huh. uh, yeah. south bend shovel slayer exactly wow. <laughs> old man harley Roberts Blossom. He I looked up his his uh his credits. He's in more credible movies than I thought he was in. He's uh he's in Slaughterhouse 5. He's in uh well, I lost the tab, so now I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, uh he's in From Escape from Alcatraz. He's in Christine. He's in fucking Vision Quest oh, yeah. and I forgot fucking, he was in Christine. Yeah, he's in The Great Gatsby. There's like he's in a lot of movies. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But I will say, this is the performance of his life. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, something this, else. It's definitely one of those movies that, because it's such kind of an intimate character study, it really hinges on that performance. And he has this way of making you feel sorry for him. Yes! At the, at the same time, the movie is so fucking creepy. Like... I don't necessarily think it like it's always compared to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came mm-hmm. out the same year, is loosely based on the same story. But I, I think it's it's unfair to compare them because they're such different films. But I think Deranged is just as creepy as Texas Chainsaw. I I, I agree. I uh, they're very different filmic styles, which makes them very two different movies. But I think that it is just as unsettling as Texas Chainsaw, and strangely, I think just as sympathetic. I am bizarrely sympathetic towards Leatherface in oh, Texas yeah. Chainsaw because mm. it's just it's clear it's a person with mental illness, and also is just kind of trying to be alone the whole time. There's that running joke of these just strangers doing a siege movie by accident and just going into his house and yeah. not knowing what to do. Uh, but yeah, similarly, like the fucking Robert, Robert's Blossom just plays the part so sympathetically that teeters the line between scary, creepy, sad, lonely, and then also, uh, sometimes funny. And I feel like maybe they made some light (laughs) out of mental illness purposefully, like it well-intentioned and well, uh, pointed light of it. 
yeah um i like i like how uh he doesn't really have a, a sense of humor like everything he says he doesn't even hide like his intentions at all and uh when he's talking to his neighbor who who watches him and well, talk- I got her. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, well, he's talking about, uh, the obituaries. He's like, Oh, that's really interesting. And he's like, what are you going to do? Like dig up people. And he's like, well, not all of them, you know, and just kind of like <laughs> says stuff like that. And everyone just laughs because it's like, Oh, crazy Ezra. But, um, it, I don't know. It's it, it very amusing. Well, that, there- that's, I'm sorry. That is actually like accurate to what I know of of Ed Gein, like that's a, a pretty uh, succinct characterization based on um, what was known about him, because that's basically what he was. Everyone was like, thought he was, you know, you know, like w- was off kilter, but everybody still kind of liked him and didn't really take any of the things he said seriously because they just assumed that oh, he's just a weirdo. Yeah, but would you say that Roberts Blossom is uh, one of those handsome Ed Gein types? Is that a type? <laughs> In Joe's no, deranged Ed, world, no. Ed Ed Gein is much more handsome than Robert Blossom. <laughs> I guess I could kind of see that. I mean, Robert Blossom <laughs> has has these mo- or Roberts Blossom has. Yeah, let's discuss that. He has a name that's weird. Yeah. Robert, yeah. I'm Blossom. sorry, no, that's just a joke. Uh. <laughs> he does these weird mouth things that it's like, okay, you know, you mentioned that he's in all these movies and he's a really well established character actor. So obviously he put some thought into his physical performance, but he has this like weird tick where he kind of purses his lips that really creeps me out. Whereas <laughs> I feel like in any photographs you see of Ed Gein, he, he just sort of. He looks like a normal Midwestern guy. If you just take away his his like dro- you know his droopy eye, he you know just looks like some Midwest guy. And that's your type, right? That's that's what <laughs> yeah, we're that's getting the, at. That's the handsome type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't you know this by this point? <laughs> the it, it, it one th- the, uh, not to dwell on Roberts with an S blossoms uh, ca- character acting for so long. But how does he look the same age in in this movie as he does in Home Alone? In fact, maybe in Home Alone it appears he got younger. Yep, it's so this <laughs> this I feel like is a real thing that exists in the film world that I like to think of as John Carradine syndrome, <laughs> where you have this fucking actor who appears to be fifty. For 50 years. Like, <laughs> like they popped out of the womb middle age. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. all wet and squishy and hit the floor. The, yeah. I mean, maybe that's why they're like, hazel. Well, that babies way. look like little old men, so it's not that it's true. much of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, that's why they're creepy and dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if you're on team dead baby, dead kids in movies, but that is firmly my camp. That always heightens a movie for me. Uh, but, oh, yeah. Uh, Okay, cool, cool. Take yeah. that, Joe. I am very creeped out by, and this is probably not something that I should publicly say, but I'm sure I've said it at some point on another podcast. I have sort of like a pregnancy phobia, and I'm really creeped out by babies, like to the point where my coworkers know that if if they're bringing their babies in, like they <laughs> they won't they won't come say hi. <laughs> so, so, 
so I, I do enjoy seeing, you know, occasional is, baby slaughter it, in horror movies. Yeah. Is your worst nightmare just that weird little thing babies do where they wrap their entire tiny hand around your pinky finger and just give it a nice squeeze just to let you know they feel and they're exercising reality? Gross. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, they're, they're weird. I understand why it is, but, but we've, <laughs> we've also veered way off course here. <laughs> there, no, that's good. This is good. It feels back there, like we're back in the saddle. There are no babies harmed in the making of Deranged, for anyone who's concerned. <laughs> Can we talk about his mother for a second? Please. And how she's obsessed with syphilis and gonorrhea or whatever it is and just... the wages of sin yeah so one of my favorite like sub sub genres are serial killer movies where the protagonist and this is sort of how i wound up writing my m book even though there's no mother in, in that well he doesn't have a mother in that film but serial killer movies where the protagonist of the film is a serial killer, they're sympathetic, and they have some real mommy issues. And, I mean, things like Don't Go in the House and Maniac, mm. uh, I, I feel like it became popular, obviously, with stuff like Psycho in 1960, but took off way more in the 80s. So it's interesting mm. to see an example of that subgenre if you can even really call call it a subgenre this early <laughs> because the mother it's like it sort of feels like he took Alan Ormsby took the the material from from Psycho and thought how can I make this into a creepy as fuck exploitation film where we're not being restricted by Hollywood producers so we can have some real creepy shit happen, and it happens. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It really the, does. <laughs> there, I, I love how he experiments with other types of skin, and they talk. That's definitely like a a step up from Psycho, going into detail with like the corpse and everything like that. Also creepy is Alan Normsby's weird photographic cameo. That yes. he makes in the movie. What? Yeah, where is that? When when he goes to see uh, um, Maureen, the woman that his mom tells him he can trust, oh, the dead husband, and the that picture, she has the picture of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I noticed awesome. that. That is really funny. So, who gets the real directing credit for this movie? Is it Jeff Gillen or Alan Ormsby? I don't. I mean, I it know. feels like such, a, no offense to you, Jeff, wherever you are, but it mm. feels like <laughs> such an Alan Ormsby film. And for those of you who aren't familiar with his name, he's a Canadian filmmaker who basically made his career working with Bob Clark. Mm -hmm. And if you watch Deranged and Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things back to back, it feels like the same filmmaker, basically. Yeah, I agree. I can see that for sure. I think it's funny that Jeff Gillen was like his top credit in IMDb is playing the Santa Claus in a Christmas story, <laughs> which is Bob Clark movie. And uh, yeah. I think that's crazy. How I don't know, just all the, the weird connections. Just going to say, I love that we've managed to bring up Christmas several times. Oh, yeah, already. 
Uh, well, this is the Christmas episode. We'll drop it in December. <laughs> hey, Christmas in July. Yeah. Whoa, boy. Well, there we go. Just blew my fucking mind. Oh boy. Actually, we could bring bring up. Uh, we could bring up Black Christmas too, since we're talking about Bob Clark. Actually, oh, I want to say, right? doesn't Alan Ormsby have some kind of credit for Black Christmas also? Yeah, I think it's either production or assistant direction or something. But also, I I would have assumed that anyone listening to your podcast would know Bob Clark from that. So if you didn't, you uh, I'm going to come to your house and cane you a little bit. <laughs> Black Christmas is the best. You heard it here, folks. Yes. If, That's well, if you what like, happens. No, if you like horror movies enough to listen to a horror movie podcast and you don't know Black Christmas, that's some sort of... It's it's the wages of sin, as his mother would say. <laughs> Not knowing Black Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the contemporary, the, the, the godfathers of, uh, of, of slasher movies. You got to know what that movie is. It sure is. Um, yeah, why is Bob Clark, why'd you bring up Bob Clark? Uh, he's so, also an uncredited producer for this, for Deranged. Oh, wow. Shit. How do you know that? Which makes sense, because he's, you know, that's, you know, that's his crew, so yeah. I, I can imagine him... You know, helping out. Oh, totally. Um, Death Dream too. Oh, yeah, they, they all this, had a hand in that as well. Which which makes Bob Clark one of the third people, or one of the people to come up three times in this show's history, very significantly so far. Although we haven't fully covered Bob Clark movies. Uh, well, you probably need to do a Porky's episode. Just saying. <laughs> which is also <laughs> <We've>, Bob Clark. <laughs> Yeah, right? God damn. And but he had a good run. He had a really fucking good run. Has anybody seen the sequel to Christmas Story? Was it I did not. There's a couple of them. Which one are you referring to? There are holy shit. Dan and I figured out that there was one. I remember growing up watching one where it's uh the thing was tops and like the it's summertime. <laughs> oh shit. House. I do remember they play that one. Tops all the time. The fuck was that movie? Did they go to the World Summer Fair? Vacation. Yeah, and it's like summer vacation, but it's not. You know, it's like it's a uh, summer vacation a summer story. story, a beach story. <laughs> There's a beach story. It's no, it's it's weird, but so a Christmas story is based on a book, and the author, whose name is escaping me right now, wrote another book about their summer vacation. And I've read the yeah. book, but I haven't seen the movie. It's Gene Shepherd. <laughs> Thank you. You've read the book? Why did yeah. you read that book? I don't know. I was a weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, because um, it was a children's book. Yeah, but it or was no? like I it, but I read it because so I, you know, grew up in one of those families where we watched a Christmas I almost said we watched Black Christmas every year when I was a kid. <laughs> That'd be sick. Which I do now, but I did not do. I didn't start doing until I was like sixteen or seventeen. But yeah, now you watched, make your family watch Black Christmas. Exactly. Uh, we all have to sit on rocking chairs with plastic bags over. <laughs> it's a holiday tradition. You only make it like two minutes into the movie. <laughs> Who can stay conscious the longest? <laughs> then that person opens their presents first. <laughs> that's a new. That's a new tradition for me. Uh, 
We we watched A Christmas Story every year when I was a kid, and when they started doing the 24 hours of A Christmas Story, we would sort of like have it on in the background. So <laughs> I, when I was probably like 12 or 13, I found some of his books at the library and hoped that they would be as delightful, but they're not quite as delightful because you don't have, uh, what the hell is the dad's name? Kolchak. Uh, good, 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 not Charles. Darren um, McGavin. Yes. Yeah. Darren, Darren McGavin is not himself in the book. So, so to me, the version what? with Darren. I mean, the, the dad is still the dad, but I feel like Darren McGavin sort of brings the character to life in such a wonderful way. Oh, totally. No right. doubt. That oh, I he see. He's of, not in the book. Yeah. Like, he's not actually in... Yeah, I get it. Okay. Yeah. His man, his, like, his mannerisms aren't as as Darren McGavin in the book. Mm. Yeah, I the, can see that the, being a little disappointing. The sequel, the, the, the title is My Summer Story. My Summer Story. Okay. That's crazy, because I, I, until you said Tops, I had... I, I couldn't think of any sort of sequel, but I do remember that scene. Right. There, there's also one that was done in the 80s, which I feel like I've brought up on the show before, but just in case I haven't, it's called Ollie Hopnoodle's Haven of Bliss. Wow. And it's one also, more time? <laughs> no. Ollie, no, what? <laughs> yeah, Ollie what is Hop it? Noodles Haven of Bliss. Okay, nope. I didn't quite get that. Could you say it one more time? Ollie Hopnoodles Haven of Bliss. That sounds like a porno. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the double is- feature at the Grindhouse where Boys <laughs> Next Door is the A feature. <laughs> that is also about a a summer trip that they take. Uh, Ralphie is played by a young... Um, a young Robert's Blossom? No. <laughs> Benjamin Button style, just an old baby man. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, it's Thank Jerry you. O'Connell play, plays Ralph. He, he's like age like 15 or something at, at, in this story. That's crazy. Wait, they go on a family trip together? Yeah, they go on, on a trip to a, a lake, like a Whoa. summer camp lake thing. Uh and I forget who plays the dad. He's not somebody that I that I think is a familiar face or anything. And he is no Darren McGavin, but he does do a reasonably good job of trying to keep that character uh, sort of lovably surly. Like there, ah. there's one scene where they they stop at like a roadside. Um, uh, like garden accessory sale, like there's like windmills and gnomes and all kinds of stuff just at this middle of nowhere, you know, place on a, you know off the, the highway somewhere. But there's one point where like he just gets to where he he's had enough and he's like, "All right, let's go. It's getting late. We're not buying any junk today." <laughs> and then it cuts to them on the road and they got ah. all this shit strapped <laughs> to the roof of the car. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good joke. You know, I we're way off topic. I'm going to cut this part out, but I got to say it out loud. Joe, I think you just helped me solve a mystery from my childhood. My grandmother used to tell me about the movie Death Valley because it has the kid that plays Ralphie. In it, or Ralph, is Ralphie the main kid? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah Randy so the, is his brother. 
Yeah, okay, cool. Thank you. The Ralphie is on a vacation or like it's like a road trip with his mother and his new stepfather. And then there's like a, he witnesses a serial killing murder or something that I, I think that's how that goes. And then he gets stalked through Death Valley. My grandmother used to tell me that that was a sequel to Christmas Story. Holy shit, you can't cut, you cannot cut that out of this episode. <laughs> My whole life I was like, what the fuck is that movie? And I could never find that movie until like maybe like the yeah, 210 era, like six or seven years ago. That's wild. <laughs> the, the fact that a grandma would think that. You know what? This year, this year, just for your grandma, I'm going to do a Christmas story Death Valley double feature on Christmas. <laughs> Thank you. That's kind of you. They would both appreciate it. <laughs> in their in their graves, though. But that's fine. <laughs> so the scenes in Deranged when he finally <laughs> succumbs to his mother's voice calling him to go bring her home, and then we start getting all of the uh, scenes of. Of uh, of grave robbing and the and the uh, new home decor that he starts adding with each trip. That is uh, not to you know we already said it, but I mean that shit is fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. And it's done in a way that it really walks a, a line between being like like how we were saying like it, it, the comedy aspect of the movie is sort of always kind of in play but in the most like malevolent way possible it's definitely mean-spirited comedy and i i, I certainly think it's comedy and i think i certainly think it's innocent but it's somehow in its innocence, it's mean spirited. I go back to just like him playing with the neighbor kid, and he's just in the 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 like chair, the like the swing hanging from the tree, and the kid right. has him twirled up, and he's like spinning around, and he's just like <laughs> behaving like a kid. It is objectively funny to see an old man in a swing and that happening to him. I don't care who you are; that's objectively funny, which makes me think that there was intent to make this movie a little bit funny when it shouldn't be. Which uh, makes it more. It be? Well, no, I mean, when dealing with mental illness, maybe it's bad to punch down on it. I'm uh, in the camp of I appreciate it, but it, it's it's one of those things where it it works and it's effective, which makes me think they had some sort of mean-spirited glee and then also playfulness going on in the set and in the creative departments. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of a similar thing that happens in Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, where there's yes. a really, really creepy atmosphere... But it's mixed with these scenes of like very real emotional cruelty and in deranged, mm-hmm. you know, f- physical mm-hmm. violence as well. But there, there is that sense of just like you said, glee. Th- this like sadistic glee. I mean, the scene that I I always think of when I think of this movie is like weird black humor is when he's in the bar to talk to that waitress that he has a crush on and he he acts like a, he acts like a 12 year old like he doesn't know how to talk to her he doesn't drink alcohol he, he doesn't know what drinking is <laughs> he, he has no idea what drinking is and the guy sits down next to him and start, starts talking about the waitress and he, he says the most like over the top sort of like things about her like 
I my favorite line is he he says something like she's got she's got perfect tits two of them like, yeah thank you <laughs> for us you don't you don't always get the two so yeah no, but this time it's both <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you see in the midwest people people are a little different than they yeah. are out here <laughs> their bodies are a little weird but it's fine we can't yeah. shame it <laughs> And and that sets up like all of the uncomfortability that you get of him like nightly waiting for his opportunity, and then finally he you know he slashes her tire, and yeah, sure and that he's there, yeah. right to to save the day, and then what he does is fucking deranged. It's so creepy. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. This is where we play all the sound effects from a radio show because you said the name of the movie. No, like, like the he goes into the house and then just lets her sit there and wonder or nap for however long and then she's like, What the fuck is going on? And then she goes into the house and he and He's wearing he's, someone. He's wearing somebody <laughs> sit, sitting with his 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 uh his corpse family that he has set up. And he I looks mean, in, like he's one of them. In his defense, that is what I'm doing right now. So I just want to put that out there. I, that brings <laughs> me to the, my fucking my favorite part. <laughs> that fucking part wh- where he has her for dinner and tied to a chair. A, she seems yeah. really blasé. And then, but then B, that's maybe where some of the comedy comes from, and maybe the most my, one of my favorite moments in the movie is because it's such a tornado of. Discomfort, honesty, and uh, uh, just natural objective comedy, where he's just trying to explain that the women play bridge on the uh, every day, and then he shows that he has instruments and he has like a violin, and he's just like hitting it, and he's making the goofiest <laughs> faces, and it's so <laughs> oh the belly drum, yeah, wasn't he playing with that? It, yeah. yeah, that's his next <laughs> instrument. He just has all these instruments. He's like excited to show them off, but he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> I've seen that on the streets. Like it's it's both. It's so. There's like an innocence to its thing that makes it all the more horrifying and funny simultaneously. That and that's where it's just—it's like upsetting. It works. Yeah, there really. I think there's so much innocence to his character. And if you parallel this, like if you looked at scene-to-scene comparisons between Deranged and Texas Chainsaw, I think Leatherface has—I don't—I don't know if I would say a similar innocence, but a similar sense of being separate from society and not understanding social interaction. Yeah. But Hmm. deranged in a way, certain scenes are creepier because they're slowed down and there's not all that, like in Texas Chainsaw, there are those really incredible moments where it relies a lot on Gunnar Hansen's size. And there's just this sort of sense of like explosive violence where he overtakes someone much smaller than him. But yeah, and very suddenly. Happen, yes, but that doesn't happen at all in Deranged. In Deranged, there's all of this kind of like sitting and waiting, and he's not really bigger than any of his victims. And speaking of size, we need to talk for a minute about how the mother tells him that he needs to find someone when she's gone and basically that all women are whores except a fat woman is okay like, yeah what yes. <laughs> they're all money grabbing well, she's a heifer yeah 
But yeah. why? I don't. I don't understand that at all. Is it because they're not conventionally attractive? Like what? What? What is that about? That's what I took it to mean. Is that her? Uh, you know, her assumption is that if the woman is not conventionally attractive, then she won't have any. You know, reason I guess to. She's not. She's not uh, yeah. a sex crazed whore like the rest of us. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you know, I can't really remember the words exactly, but did she just mention the friend being fat and uh, and that she liked her, and then maybe that's why he was like, "Oh, that means all fat women are good for me," or something. Uh, she yeah, she tells him you can trust her because she's fat. Okay, yeah. Oh, he does, she does say that. Okay, but <laughs> and I she's love- a heifer. Yeah. I love the way the movie plays with that, though, because then when he goes to see that particular character, she clearly cannot wait to have sex because she's <laughs> been widowed and is obviously very lonely. And that scene, like to your point about the use of unexpected and perhaps inappropriate comedy in this movie, the scene where she tries to have sex with him is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. (laughs) But (laughs) it's so perfect. Like, both... He just... He looks like... He just is so good at seeming very kind of innocent and childlike, but at the same time, he has these physical instincts that he can't ignore but he's just very confused about Mm. this like (laughs) her seductive dance (laughs) she's amazing in that movie yeah yeah marion waldman gives another dynamite performance in in that and if anybody doesn't recognize her she she's mrs mac in black christmas not to bring oh wow okay that's great hey she likes she likes a party in both movies, mm. <laughs> but differently. I, I, <laughs> yes. One <laughs> one of those moments that maybe were is unintentional in its humor is the strange green slime that he feeds her. Oh, it's the split pea soup. That the split pea soup. That's what it was. That's what yeah. split pea soup looks like in this yeah. movie's universe. <laughs> I think it looks like that. Well, every time I've what seen it, it looks like in The Exorcist. Too. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, way and, you ever and, cook it? And beyond the door. Yeah, pea soup. If pea soup is pretty green, yeah. yeah. I love that scene though because the like up until that point, the entire movie was like very earth tone and dirty looking, and then you just have this neon green soup fl- mm. like coming out of the mother's mouth, and then bl- and then like <laughs> yeah, bright red blood like mixed into it. I thought it was like geyser of yeah. blood. <laughs> out of her nose for inexplicable reasons. Do people die that way? Do people die of a thing that then causes them to have a fucking a volcanic eruption of violent torrents of blood shooting uh, through their nose? You you can. It's not very common, but it's basically <laughs> you have you have to have some sort of hemorrhaging happen and oh. it would be I think probably the result of some sort of disease that she had. It's possible mm. like if she burst some kind of blood vessel like in her her brain or her somewhere in her sinuses so like Mm. it's possible but it's so unexpected here (laughs) yeah (laughs) i saw someone wrote here tom savini so i'm wondering what how does that play in Uh, part of the effects team oh really him him alan ormsby and uh, jerome bergson okay 
Jerome yeah, Bergson's were, the other one. They did the the effects. I I don't know how that was divvied up exactly, but mm. Tom Savini well, was on the effects. I hope he was behind the, uh, the 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 pea soup and the blood. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I know that he is uh, notoriously credited for this movie, um, but then I didn't. I was very surprised to see that Alan Ormsby had a credit for the that the makeup effects department. Mm. Yeah, I feel he like has the, the pea soup is more of an Alan move. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one thing he did, and he was such a pretentious <laughs> dick about it. He needed to have that credit. <laughs> he, it, Ryan, to to your point, have you seen Shockwaves? Not in a while, but yeah. Alan did the the uh, or at least some of the the zombie makeup in Shockwaves. Really? Yes. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that particular Bob Clark crew got their start working on theatrical productions together, so they all just kind of learned how to do everything. Makes sense. That it also kind of explains with his 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 credit on makeup department stuff. Kind of, there's a certain aesthetic that those movies have with their corpses and their corpse makeup. Yeah. That I find it, it's very theatrical, but that also. I find to be effective and creepy still like it just like yeah. looks gross and weird and it's overpronounced, but it's not like a Fulci zombie gross. It's a different kind of gross. Yeah. I mean that, that dinner sequence where he ties up the waitress and there are all of the dead women at the table is so effective. I mean, they all look like when she finally ab- is able to break free and starts to kind of run through the room and you you see them move in that kind of weird slow-mo mm-hmm. the makeup is is really creepy and it also it looks a lot like the zombies in children shouldn't play with dead things mm-hmm. yes yeah that's yeah that's that's it right there that must be the alan ormsby touch a little, little, little sprinkle yeah i wonder <laughs> if any of the like the gunshots and things like that if that's Savini. Okay. I also, this isn't really effects related, but you have to wonder how they convinced someone to be hung upside down naked (laughs) in the Canadian winter. Oh yeah. That (laughs) must've been brutal. That that is suffering for your art. (laughs) Like how much is it paid? Yeah. Just Just even running, escaping from the back of a truck in a skirt and running through the snow. I, that that uh, is already mm. too much. I think an act- actor should be paid a lot for that. And then just that's the, yeah. the, the murder is just that's the extra step. It's crazy. Yeah, I think that that's her only acting credit. So maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah. She's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not cut out for it. She's deceased of hypothermia from that production. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say was that like for the version I watched, I remember. I, Pretty sure I remember the like the skin tone was a bit blue. It was kind of like I had a blue tint. And I wasn't sure if that was makeup or just her freezing being hung I mean, upside down. She lays there for a while. It's also one of those and I was thinking about this a lot when I watched it a couple of days ago or last week or whenever. There the way the shots are set up, it looks like she's there for a long time because mm. You can't, it's not like a dead body laying in the snow where you can do a couple of quick takes and then put a blanket on someone. She's fucking upside down. Yeah. Naked. Freezing. Like you can't just pop a robe on someone. (laughs) What was she? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
when they find her is that do you think that was maybe an elaborate prosthetic shot uniquely or or it was actually her still being the you know the act the dead body it looks like her yeah yeah i could i concur with that yeah well yeah we hey woe be it to me to underestimate tom savini's technique and skills (laughs) sure but i i feel like as a film critic, this has become a, an important part of my career is assessing, is that an actual naked person yeah. or not? <laughs> ah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That's good. It's the little things. Well, you know what? One thing I wanted to ask myself, uh, I've recently reckoned that I, I've always had thought of uh, of critique as, a, as like a very interesting thing of, you know, how to explore subjective reality and objective reality. But now I'm embracing, I guess I'm a critic if we're doing this shit but as a critic i'd like to say was there sort of a Chekhov's bear trap going on in the third act yeah that bear trap was it's something that i don't know if that would count because you would have to see for it to to be a Chekhov reference it'd have to be first action yeah you have to see it in the first act Mm. joe andrew do you think that that was a you think that was a deer-sized wolf trap, <laughs> or more of a bear-sized mouse trap, or a wolf-sized deer trap? I and was, was it on I, sale? I, I I was going to say, is this you trying to make us the only podcast to have reference of Chekhov's bear trap twice? <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, we recently covered Savage Streets, and Savage Streets deploys a Chekhov's bear trap early on in the first act proper as a Chekhov's gun would work. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it was on sale, but it certainly appears that it was more of a lady-sized ankle trap. Yeah, it's kind of on the smaller side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently the producer Tom Carr and the art director Albert Fisher whose name is dangerously close to another yeah. serial killer reference <laughs> were both Ed Gein fanatics Oh, and Tom Carr was desperate to make an Ed Gein movie so he took money that he made from promoting concerts mentioned in what I read was as Led Zeppelin and three dog night, which I'm sure there's others once too, but, uh, and invested it in getting this movie made. And then Albert Fisher as the art director, some of the details of, of the home that he put with like all of the, um, uh, like all the magazines laying around and whatnot, that's all actually accurate to Ed Gein that he was just like waist deep in not only uh, just general filth of Mm. the house, but also in all of his reading material because he was actually a voracious reader. He was a hoarder, right? Mm. He just hoarded shit. Yeah, he was a hoarder. Wow. Did all the baked beans, was that accurate too? Like baked beans being Um, everywhere? I'm sure it was. Yeah. You know, you... If you search, you can... So, I mentioned earlier that I was a weird kid, and (laughs) I read a lot of serial killer books. And most of them, when they... Like, if you read sort of like an overall book or an encyclopedia, the Ed Gein sections, they would have so many pictures of his farmhouse, which I love at the end of this movie. They're like, they burned it to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it looks... 
it looks pretty accurate. It looks like a place where a mentally ill, very isolated hoarder lived. The end, when when you finally get that reveal and other people see the way he's been living, the sheriff and, uh, you know, his neighbor, and, and I, I broke my heart. Like, yeah. I was very sad by the reaction because it was so genuinely portrayed. Again, this is Roberts Blossom's career of his life. I do not know how he didn't go further. I, I guess there were no calls for old men, but <laughs> he, he, I mean, it okay. really broke my heart. So you, you know, took us down this path by talking about Albert Fisher and Albert Fish. I think somebody really dropped the ball in not casting Robert's Blossom in an Albert Fish movie because for some reason, oh my god, he would be so perfect. He looks like he looks more. He looks like exactly him. like him. Yes, and I think Fuck. maybe people don't want. Um, like there aren't really a lot of movies about like pedophile <laughs> child killers aren't, who do needle aren't, games with penises. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah I was gonna say I don't <laughs> think there are any serial killer movies where somebody shoves a rose into their urethra. Oh god, but we could have had one. <laughs> <laughs> Missed opportunity. I know. Really, really did. Really did miss that. Don't worry, there will be more old men that look like fucking deformed babies <laughs> and then don't age. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get Robert's that one. Blo- but Robert's Blossom is, is, I think, such a talented actor that he could have made that movie and had that character be something totally different. As, you know, in life, Albert Fish was like the complete opposite of Ed Gein. He was not a sweet old Midwestern man. Yeah, he was a psychopath who preyed on sex workers, right? Like teenage sex workers, children. Oh my god! Children, and he he would write their families letters about how he cooked them and how delicious they were, and he's something. If you (laughs) if you want to be very disturbed, (laughs) read about Albert Fish's life. Actually, I I you can cut this part out just for the 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 giggles, but. the uh, when last podcast did their three parter on him when they started off, Henry was like, "I just want all of you to remember before we get into this, you asked for this." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it's gonna be Sam's fault when that movie yeah. comes out. <laughs> it's my fault. I'll be doing cartwheels down the street. <laughs> I am available to be hired as a consultant. <laughs> Do we have anything else that we want to say about it? There's like one thing I feel like this might be backtracking, but it was just more clarification for me. Um, the the scene where she where uh, Ezra goes and meets the the fat lady and um, <laughs> uh, and uh, like th- I feel like it's kind of tragic. You know, she's like, oh, you know, I'm crazy and and lonely and you're crazy and lonely and we're like we're a perfect pair but he ends up killing her and um the entire time he was just there for the skin right that was like the whole purpose i so i think (laughs) it's important to shop for a size up yeah when when you're when you're looking for (laughs) sorry (laughs) no i i think it's one of those things where he wanted some companionship and his mother told him that's something that he had to do so my sense is sort of he went 
without any kind of clear plan and then things took a turn an inevitable turn perhaps but like i don't really think of ed gein and i know the the movie character is not literally supposed to be him but i don't really think of ed gein as being one of those calculating serial killers who makes a a clear plan he's Mm. more of a sort of it's i think it's like in the moment well, yeah, I think it's called a disorganized type. Mm, and yes. so it's more of a crime of passion or convenience. Passion is the wrong word. A crime of convenience where you're in a situation where your urge to kill is triggered by a series of events or a type of person. And because you have the the means and opportunity, you you act on it. Unlike somebody like Ted Bundy, who would actively go around and hunt and had a kit in the car and had things to sort of cover their tracks. Like, it's sort of amazing that it took Ed Gein so long to be caught because he didn't bother. He just like, it's almost like he didn't think about it. He just did it. And... Right. It was sheer dumb luck and probably the population size of his town that nobody really noticed. Hmm. Okay. No, that makes sense. I seem to be, I don't, I'm not as well versed with serial killers as everyone else is, but that I remember his, his like, he kills, he killed a woman in a hardware store, right? Was that one of his things that kind yes. of aligns with this movie? Yeah. Well, and wasn't that, that was like one of his impulse kills where he didn't know what was, like, it just like opportunity kind of appeared? Yeah, I mean, I think it was sort of an escalating situation where at first, which is also common with serial killers, where he started out with the grave robbing and bringing corpses home, and then it was the kind of situation where I think he ran out of relatively fresh corpses, and found himself with the opportunity to kill someone and then kind of just kept doing that yeah he's like two birds with one stone yeah it's like well if i can't dig her up this lady doesn't seem like she's doing anything tonight yeah he only has two official confirmed victims but also possibly his brother which they were never able to prove whether he was guilty of or not hmm. and there are only two confirmed because they were like hanging in his garage or whatever right? or his barn well one one was the the, the last one for from the hardware store okay. and then they found uh the the face and other parts of the of the first woman <laughs> as well mm. while they were in there amongst all of the other grotesque things that they found that he had lying around everywhere. Hey, well, I don't know. In reusing, recycling, repurposing, you know. Yeah. Who doesn't need, I like, s- a bone? Like, I'm sure he made, like, did he make furniture out of uh, bones yeah, and shit? I think he made a lamp. Okay. Out of, out of flesh. Flesh light, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> yeah, Served as the not- inspiration for the flesh light. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is this joe are you leading us with that with the end the conclusion um if i can just yell at these two letterboxed people first i don't normally do this <laughs> for some reason i felt compelled to look at this because i happened to see when i googled that 
I felt like its letterboxed rating was way too low. Mm. So I had to investigate, and uh, we have this person. Uh, this movie made me laugh, but considering this is meant to be based on actual murders, heck, Ed Gein was still alive when this was made. I kind of find all of the pulpiness pretty intensely distasteful. They go through the trouble of having this fake documentary narrator, hilarious, and then they just go, they just spend most of the time running gleefully behind Gein as he largely stumbles into all of his murders, and she goes on after that. Jenna Ipcar, you're wrong. And, and stupid. What? Wait, who? What? That's oh, that's the, the user. Who re- re- yeah. <laughs> you are wrong. wrong. Yeah. And then yeah, I also... The narrator I'm sorry, go ahead. is great. No, I, we, I feel like we actually didn't talk about this much. We didn't talk about that. The narrator is so brilliant, and it's, it's like definitely a, f- a sort of film noir device, so he didn't just totally pull it out of thin air, but yeah, it, it didn't get used in horror movies hardly ever at that time. Well, it's, it, it's, it's in delightful. the town that dreaded sundown, right? Doesn't that yes. happen, or is it voiceover? Um, I think it's voiceover. It's not like an actual guy who. Appe- it's so it's so great though. Yeah, it's like I wonder if um, what was the show that that did that? Like, was it unsolved uh, mysteries? Yeah, and like the guy would just come in and just narrate the episode. Yeah. Only this guy looks like the guy from Flight of the Concord. <laughs> I I actually think it added a lot of creepiness to the goings on having that done in that way where you know the fourth wall sort of is broken by this person who's telling you about something that's in the past but really it's not because it's happening before your eyes. I don't know. I I I find that you know, it has a weird, uh, I don't know, I don't know if kind of documentary. It, mm. I don't know if disorienting is the right word, but it, it gives it a weird, like, uncomfortability, at least mm. to me, anyway. To me, it kind of, like, gives, like, a calming sense, kind of like, okay, yeah, just like a reminder that we're just, we're just outsiders watching what's going on with this crazy person. Right, which is and- what does it. <laughs> Am I the only person that cracked the fuck up every time he walks on a screen? <laughs> it is kind yes. of ridiculous, but I just still really like that. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, same. Atmosphere. Yeah, and which is what I like. Like, I find it funny, but I like it kind of thing because it because of the atmosphere. Um, if I can just yell at Letterboxd user Darren for a minute. Yes. Darren, boring- Darren, you're going down, buddy. Darren, <laughs> Darren, if you're listening, we're coming for you. <laughs> Deranged is a pretty boring serial killer film. It's based oh, off Ed Gein, you, but that doesn't mean it's good. The acting is absolutely atrocious. I've never seen a more unaffected reaction to being to, to seeing a table full of corpses, but the same actress is also unaffected when she is kidnapped. And then he actually mentions that he likes the narrator and thought that that was creative, so he's not, you know, completely off base. And then he rounds it out with this this film could be seen as a Home Alone prequel for the old man who shovels the snow. And he gave it one and a half stars. Darren, yeah. bad. You're wrong, but Darren. Wait. So I dug into Darren a little bit. Again, I don't normally do this. So I don't know what possessed me to, to get into this. But oh, we're stalkers he, now. But I found something very interesting. He gave, His address. 
Godzilla. <laughs> 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 he, he he gave Godzilla the original 1954 masterpiece Godzilla and the American 1998 Godzilla the same four wow. star rating. Yeah, that's all right. Okay. What? <laughs> all right, we we need to talk about something that's a little more serious, but it's one of my biggest fucking pet peeves is the beginning of Darren's interview or review when people talk <laughs> about how a victim in a horror movie doesn't behave in a believable way. It's yeah. Like, first of all, mm-hmm. what what would what do yeah. you think you would do if someone kidnapped you and plopped you down at a table full of dead people? And right. it's it's like some of it is victim blaming, but it also it's like, do you not have you never read about people going into shock and freezing up? And it's like, are you that much of an idiot that you can't understand that <laughs> the way everyone processes trauma is to not just like start off with fisticuffs? Yeah, like, there's not a handbook. It, I, it makes me so angry because usually in movies, especially serial killer movies, they reflect what happens in life. And Mm -hmm. I think, like, even in the stupid ones, like, most of the time, people who are kidnapped by a stranger or preyed upon by a serial killer aren't like, I know what's going on here, Ted, Mr. Bundy. No, you will not put that chloroform over my face. (laughs) Shut up, Darren. Well, in Darren's defense, and I hate to be the devil's advocate to what you just said, I Uh think what he was getting at... I think that what he was getting at was the last time he kidnapped, abducted a woman yeah, and tied her to a chair in a room like full of corpses. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't behave that way. She was much more uppity. <laughs> it's like well, in my experiences, yeah. What is, it is a little bit... <laughs> well, can, let me just say, to pile on with, 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 that, with what Sam just said, I think that that was adequately portrayed by her in the movie. I think you got... Yeah, the sense terrified. that right uh-huh. that she was like frozen in fear so i don't understand like why anyone would watch it and go oh well you know good yeah. job lady <laughs> i mean I, I will say her performance looks a little bit dissatisfied in a unique way but then for me it kind of completes that that uh that circuit when it, it's revealed that she's she's a bit playing him a little bit like mm-hmm. oh how can i eat food my hands are still tied yeah and so like with with that nuance then i completely buy her behavior and that performance. Yeah, it but is... that's also totally a normal thing in abuse or assault situations is mm-hmm. negotiating for your survival. So Exactly. Fuck you, Darren. Fuck you, <laughs> Fuck you Darren. <laughs> Fuck you. You're out. Ryan. Yeah. Thumbs up or down? Throbbing big two thumbs up almost. <laughs> like I love this movie. It's always been close to me. Uh, there's a lot we didn't talk about that I love about it, and it, it just rocks. This movie is certified. Oh, now the cops are coming because they They're heard coming. us ta- yeah. celebrating. Darren. Darren sent them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, thumbs up or down? Uh, a thumb from some lady who I just dug up. <laughs> way up. Thumb way up. Yes. Andrew. Yeah, thumb way up spewing green pea soup yes <laughs> likewise i i gotta all right i've cooked for some of you before but i gotta i'm gonna make you some pea soup and we'll see what it looks like okay yeah let's do that yes let's 
All right, we will be back after this word from our network. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Joe, tell us about Tenement. A gang using the basement of a dilapidated tenement building for their drug operation are out for revenge on the building's tenants for reporting them to the police. What follows is a night of cruel violence. Tenement, the place to be. (laughs) I think we have our outro song for this episode as well. Uh, I was just going to say, I love the one line in that song where it says, like, break into your crib and rape your wife or something like that. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Because it's, it it pulls, Tenement is the place to be. And then it pulls the carpet out from underneath your feet. (laughs) And and, and it's, no, surprise, you don't want to be there because they come in there and rape your wife. Yeah. You might escape. Tenement is definitely not the place to be. Yeah, don't go to Tenement. Why? The, what is? What is that songwriting? I mean, <laughs> one, one of my favorite things is movies, especially low budget horror movies that have their own theme songs. Because most of the time, you're like, "Why does this movie have its own fucking theme song?" <laughs> but no movie deserves that more than Tenement. Just like, why? Yeah. <laughs> especially it's like it's like so upbeat too. Like you it like is. you when you put on that movie, you like think you're gonna have like a lot of like, you know, just a uh, lighthearted fun. I, maybe this is someone's idea of lighthearted fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's just not lighthearted. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it's I, I, I was kind of aware of the reputation of the movie, like vaguely, <gasps> but then watching it, I was like, wow. Yeah. This is worse than I expected. <laughs> yeah, so for anyone who hasn't heard of Tenement, it's one of the very few movies in film history or American film history to be given an X rating for violence and not sex. And it it is not for the faint of heart. Not at all. But, but then, strangely, it also is a little bit for the faint of heart. Because it's it, it, the violence and cruelty in it is horrible, but then also the tone of the rest of it is pretty lighthearted, right? Yeah. Or am I just tripping? I know, we, like, yeah. I, I know we mentioned Home Alone um, on the <laughs> previous movie, but like this one kind of reminds me of that too, just with all the uh, with with all the booby traps and stuff, and like the throwing the things down staircases. My favorite subgenre. It's siege movies. I I love them. I love home invasion siege movies. Mm-hmm. I love you, you the fucking assault on precinct thirteen. Yeah. Living Dead. Just any time where people are trapped and have to work together to overcome a large enemy. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. Yeah, it's a great one, and I think for anyone who's not really familiar with eighties New York genre films, there are mm. so many of them that. Are, and even starting in kind of the mid-70s, 
There are so many of them that are about the often awful violence in the city and the way that kind of crime and poverty and government corruption resulted in this just horrible living environment. And so I think I always like to point that out to people. Like, it's not just a stupid exploitation movie that's offensive and violent. Like, it it has an actual connection to real life. And mm. Roberta Finlay, who directed it, mm-hmm. grew up in a tenement in the South Bronx, which is also where the film is set. Like, not uh, yeah. specifically where she grew up, but they filmed in an actual tenement and had to get, like, police protection and, and had to bribe people. And there are some gang members as extras in the film. It's, it's yeah. wild. It's, it's uh, from my understanding, I, I've read that she, uh, the inspiration of this movie, particularly the very, very troubling rape scene that happens uh, with one of the first w- victims and a broomstick oh, was yeah. it, the impetus of inspiration comes from a real life experience of having, witnessed a rape in a tenement complex and everybody that lived there pretended to ignore or like ignored it just pretended like it wasn't happening like not my problem kind of thing yeah i mean there's this super famous story that's used in a lot of like psychological essays and sociological essays of this lady named kitty genovese who was raped and killed in the courtyard of an apartment complex and everybody heard it happen because it was the summertime, people had their windows open. And I don't think this is what specifically inspired Roberta, but it was this really famous story that has sort of changed over the years and maybe become a little like more grotesque and, and mythic than what actually happened. But Oh, wow. Bas- yeah, basically it's a story of people overhearing violence and because they're so accustomed to hearing it, they assume that one of their other neighbors has called the police and so they don't do anything about it. And then by the time people tried to do something, it's too late and she died from her injuries. Wow. Yeah. I feel like, um, another, uh, little aspect of like doing something, calling the police or something like that. In this movie, it shows that, uh, like the revolving door of the justice system, like just how doesn't matter. I guess like at the, at this time, like if if someone gets called or the if the police gets called and they arrest someone, that they're just out on the streets again. Like I don't know if that's just um, I guess know. they didn't have charges that stuck to them. They right? Yeah. If there was the like door. if it was just one person calling in or something like that. Yeah. I I, I thought that was uh, kind of I interesting. Mean, I don't know how true that is, but yeah. That. I, th- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, well, I just mean to from what I've read about history, I'm really unsure because that's such a trope in '80s movies. Like, I don't know how true that was because yeah. I've I've read a lot about people that don't belong in prison going to jail and getting arrested and and going and just but being then, there for a, a long time, right? Way longer. Yeah. Than should. But then in the genre of movies, you see the opposite, like mm-hmm. vigilante. This, uh, you know. Well, I I think if you consider it as a specific product of its time there are a lot of stories especially from this period in new york where there's just so many incidents of assault and rape and murder and robbery 
and the police are pretty inept and they kind of don't care and you'll mm-hmm. you'll see that if you if you read through actual like historical documents and newspapers mm-hmm. and stuff but i think the reality is also which i think makes tenement pretty topical for today is also with a lot of these 80s movies like the you know things like the warriors and even maniac and some of the serial killer movies and definitely william friedkin's cruising there's this ah. idea that the police will respond if you're in an affluent neighborhood and if you are a black person or a gang member or somebody who looks like they don't belong then you're much more likely to be arrested on ridiculous charges Whereas if you're living in a tenement in the Bronx or in any poor area, they don't give a shit unless they can get something out of it. Like there are all these crazy stories of police corruption and extortion and blackmail and bribery and police raping people. It's like shit is wild. That still happens today, uh, and it hasn't gone away. Also, quick aside, I need to make a few Darrens out of some people, but if you're a motherfucker listening to this podcast and you don't think anything's going on matters, fuck you. Go die. Like, fucking kill yourself. (laughs) Like, get out of here. I don't don't know why horror is so sacred that we can't talk about the horrors that real humans are fucking facing. So, fuck you. Yeah, there's a very uh, totally. specific type of what I like to call the horror bro who yes. is at like in general seeing these people on social media I find it very frustrating but like as a working film critic who happens to be female they have become the bane of my existence like mm. a lot of the time I'll get message like private messages negative reviews like seemingly just because I either have said something political that they don't like or given some kind of political context. Like I had some guy basically have a meltdown because I talked about police corruption in Italy in the seventies in reference to a Jalo film. And it's like, well, why do you have to bring politics into it? It's like, Oh my God, you can't. What is it? The movie? Yes. It's in the (laughs) fucking movie. So, so, the, these these horror bros, they need to join Darren on some sort of island <laughs> where they're cut off from the internet and we don't have to deal with them anymore. Yeah, wait, wait, with that said, I don't really believe in this, this like really two party, this is bipartisanship, two party system thing. I, I Especially through Mahoning, I've met a lot of people that I probably wouldn't have met uh, uh, otherwise that have very particular conservative values that are just pretty much liberal as fuck. And then they're just like, they just think gun control and taxes should be different so it's, sure. it's very difficult to demonize everybody that's into horror and and then politicize it in in the, that kind of frame of reference where you give you assign a, a party to everybody but oh, yeah, you know no, no. yeah there are a fuck ton of of weirdos out there that are just fucking men that they're it's all yeah. men right are there women that are doing that in the horror world you ever um, get harassed that way so I've been harassed by women in the horror world in a different way, which there's harassment all around. It's, it's exciting. But basically when it happens for men, it's usually straight white men either in their late twenties or over like over the age of 50. Mm -hmm. And they don't like the fact that I'm a woman 
commenting on their precious genre. They don't like anything <laughs> that brings in history or politics, which, like, I'm not a super political critic. Like, I don't always have to find a reading for things. Usually my interest lies in looking at what was going on when the film was being made. So uh, it's it's not like I'm shoving it down people's throats. They just They just hate it. And on the opposite side, I'm often criticized or harassed by women who don't like that I write about exploitation films and hardcore films. So it's sort of like people who are very woke and PC. Oh, don't get me started on that. But, but like in a, in a really sex negative way. So, Uh uh-huh. Oh, All totally. of these people would hate the fuck out of Roberta Finlay, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask. I've not seen anything she's been involved with, with the exception of Shriek of the Mutilated and Snuff. Assuming she was actually involved in Shriek of the Mutilated, do you, are you are you good with? Or do you have a, a solid understanding of her career? You, you yeah. saw Blood Farmers too. Uh, what? She's, she's cinematographer on Invasion of the Blood Farmers. She was? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. We talked about that out loud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my brain is turning to worms. What's your brain look like? <laughs> you have quarantine brain. <laughs> yeah, I, I, to say the least. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm unfamiliar with her, her career as a whole. Who is? I mean, she is pretty one of a kind. I mean, she started off working with her then husband Michael Finlay who's a sexploitation director <laughs> who died horribly in a random helicopter accident he did but oh. i feel like he's the sort of person who would be delighted to have died horribly and not like lived into boring old age or something <laughs> but she so she started working with him when she was like I think like 16 and pretty much learned like her, her life story is so insane. So like I said, she grew up in the Bronx in this really poor neighborhood, but was a really talented musician and she wanted to become a composer. So a lot of her films, a lot of Michael Finlay's films, like the films they did together, she does everything from cinematography, lighting, set design, composing she pretty much learned it all and even though at the time michael was credited more often than she was and she has all these pseudonyms like you'll see uh this one anna riva pop up a lot but she did so much work on all of those films and is sometimes given a co-director credit on her work with him but went on by the early 70s to direct films in her own right. And so she's basically one of the sort of founding figures of what is known as the Ruffies. And their sexploitation movies... I I feel like Tenement is... You could draw a direct line from the Ruffies to Tenement. Their sexploitation movies... That is rough. Yes. And they're (laughs) often focused on violence, sexual violence, rape, usually people are murdered in them. Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis made what is the first official roughy scum of the earth. But really she made yeah, she made a lot of the early ones. Um, 
and also directed a lot of hardcore and then into the 80s started to make more kind of like straight horror films like The Oracle, which she made the same year as The Tenement, which is the greatest thing ever. The The Oracle is the greatest thing ever or Tenement oh, yeah. is the greatest? Uh, oh. I love Tenement, but The Oracle is the greatest thing ever. It's also a Christmas movie. Hey, Christmas in July. <laughs> Bringing it bells, back around. Mm. That's going to be the closing music. <laughs> this is Christmas music. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, uh, also Blood Sisters. I noticed something. I'll cut this out just just cuz for sake of creepers. Did Sam, is your did you utilize the Blood Sisters poster or something? Was it Blood Sisters? I was looking at a poster of one of her movies and it, and it looked like your oh, your Instagram my, icon. Yeah, my icon is from uh this one of her first movies called The Altar of Lust. It's a oh. it's a sexploitation movie. A really <laughs> oh, is depressing it good? one. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, it's weird to mix sex with depression and horror. It, no, it's not though. I mean, all of the ruffies oh, are like sure. that. And, I mean, but, and they're fucking weird. But, yeah, but, and they're all super but, weird. <laughs> I'm I, Sam. I'm a sex positive person. I don't like all this mean stuff. <laughs> I don't want to feel bad. I don't want politics in my porn. <laughs> get that politics out of there. All right, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Should make t-shirts that say "Keep politics out of porn." Co-signed well, so- Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Darren says, "Be more like Karen." <laughs> uh, yo, so Sam, why did you end up picking this movie as the B feature? Well, I really love Roberta Finlay, and I don't think her work gets enough attention. I mean. A lot of her films remain very difficult to see. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome has done some nice work putting them out, like things like A Woman's Torment uh, and stuff like that in more recent years. But I don't know. I just I think they're not talked about very often. She has people who have heard of her kind of make a face because she has this reputation of having really violent, unpleasant films. But Tenement also just seemed so, and and I almost never do this when I go on podcasts or write about things. Like, I don't usually try to tie older movies into current affairs, but Mm -hmm. with the police not giving a shit and the gang getting out of prison and coming back for revenge and all Mm -hmm. these people just in kind of awful poverty trying to survive just it felt sort of topical Mm. yeah i mean it's nice to see uh, community policing might be the wrong wrong words to apply to it but i it's nice to see a community coming together to stop their problem as dark of a movie as it is except except i feel like the people who freak out over the idea of defunding the police to those people, tenement is what they think will happen if we, you know, move police funds elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they right. think an 80s, a really, really clean cut, but heavily stylized 80s gang is going to be living in their basements. The, yes, the warriors are going to come to your house and <laughs> they're going to bring a lot of broom handles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what? Ouch! This is the second movie we've seen where a broom murder rape happens in it, and and that we've discussed in the last few months. What was the first one? 
uh, uh, it was the Coffin Show movie. What? What? Uh, oh, which one was it? Is Awakening, it Awakening of, of the, the Beast. Beast? Yep. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> someone knows someone, a soda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Awakening of the Beast. The so yeah, this is clearly the more brutal and horrific version of it, but still, the concept is so upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask a question about this movie. Um, so I feel like a, 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 a recurring thing in Siege movies is waiting till morning. And like when morning comes, that'll be when everything's better. I feel like there's always a reason for that, though. Like the w- like something happens in the morning. But um, in this movie, it's mentioned at least once that they just have to get through until the morning or like get through the night until it's morning. And I just I didn't really know if I missed something or... If, if, if like what did morning bring for these people that was that was going to make it better i think it unpacks in two ways i think partly uh logically in a movie like this there will be more the, a higher chance of witnesses people rolling by seeing what's happening kind of like mm-hmm. an assault in precinct 13 that would right. be the reality they work in but then there's a more pro- poetic element where it's you know dawn of the dead is a good example of it where it's tomorrow brings a new day mm-hmm. and there's a bit of a positive energy it's like, you know, Dawn of the get Dead gets real suicidal at the end. And then, you know, Peter changes his mind, changes his kind of tone of voice, gets in the helicopter, flies away, and the sun rises, and it's a new day. And that's the start day. of a new day. But, I, yeah, I think, logically, people will just, it's more like, it's harder to do crimes in daytime than it is at night. Yeah. I just thought it was weird, cause especially in this movie, there was just really n- never cops around except for the very, very beginning. So I was like, oh, yeah, I don't right. know if the daytime's going to change anything. It's a good point. I mean, there's also, not to be cynical, but A, yes, I agree with you. I don't think cops being around in the daytime was going to happen either. <laughs> but I also think that you have to consider that this is a Roberta Finlay movie and she kind of didn't give a shit. Right. And so she put into her films, I think, the things that interested her or that she thought would be entertaining or make money or what have you. But so there are definitely certain plot, like elements of script writing and things like that, that she just didn't care about. Hmm. So she probably just used that because it's a trope of the genre that Mm -hmm. for the reasons Ryan pointed out, it it works really well. Right. Yeah. That that totally makes sense. Another trope of the genre that I really love is booby traps. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was gonna say it also it gives it some resonance like having the uh having the time pop up every so often throughout the movie. Yeah, I think that yes. was supposed to make it like uh, a little uh, add some tension to the movie, but I don't really know if that was effective or not for me. Is it a true crime thing, kinda like the the narrator of Deranged? Is there is it trying to give it that flavor of like and this happened at approximately this the nine oh nine PM and then this happened at approximately eleven sixty nine PM. I just thought it was supposed to oh go ahead. I I was gonna say like I I took it as it ties into, you know, they're waiting for morning and also Mm. the fact that you're watching everybody go through all of this and they're telling you what time it is. And it's like, this is the longest fucking night that anyone could live through. Right. It feels like. 
Yeah, that actually makes yeah that makes sense. Yeah, I thought it was just showing yeah. how how late it was getting. You know, like how 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 far along they were into the night. All right, yeah. can I be a little bit of a Darren? I'm sorry, Sam. <laughs> did you have something? No, no. I was just gonna say. Usually, I really hate when movies use that kind of time device. Like mm-hmm. my least favorite example is uh that really awful vampire movie uh uh 30 days of oh yeah Vel- it, it's, <laughs> it's like every, it, it feels like every two minutes they're like day one mm-hmm. day two like all right yeah you that gotta is really space annoying. that shit out but i i really like it in tenement mm-hmm. because i think because it does make it feel like oh my god this this night is so long right I would have liked it to be, uh, like, a bit more consistent, though. Like, I feel like if it got later, and every time it got later, the, the time got later, they were on a higher floor. Like, now they're on floor four or whatever, and well, it just keeps on going up. I thought that would have been a little cooler. All right, two things, real quick. I wanna, I'm want to i going to piggyback on that, but then the, the other thing I want to say is, Sam, I reread 30 Days of Night after before I left for L.A., and then after that, and I've decided everybody is really wrong and uh, about the comic book. And the source material. The movie's a piece of shit. The movie's a flaming piece of shit. But Ben Temple Smith, his illustration, everything he does, that's art in itself worth, worthy of being floored. And, you know, decent siege narrative. Okay. Yeah. So anybody, I, that's, that's just a personal comment. I just, I would strongly recommend rereading it. Not to be a Darren, but. <laughs> <laughs> I know, everybody hated it. Yeah, the, the movie is Yeah, terrible, I was crucified there. The movie but, fucking sucks. Yeah, the movie's awful. Um, the meanest thing that Harry from Exhumed Films has ever done in his entire life is to make us watch it at 8 in the morning <laughs> during the yeah. end of a 24-hour festival. Like, why would During the last festival? one. It's, that was I horrible. Know, it, wasn't, it wasn't the very last movie, yeah. but it was, like, second to last or some shit. But yeah, that was brutal. I, I remember liking... Like, so I, I also read the comic, and... I remember liking certain things about the story, but I hated the characters. Really? I thought they were all really annoying, and I couldn't wait for them to turn into vampires. I'm also... <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I'm also a sort of a grouch, so <laughs> take that for I, what it is. <laughs> I don't know if the characters are developed enough to hate them enough, but anyway, this is beside the point. I just felt like I was crucified in that circle, and then in retrospect, I was like, maybe they were right, and then I was like, no, everybody's fucking wrong. Everybody's just agreeing with each other, but I kid. That's just hyperbole. Uh, to, to build on what Andrew was saying, moving up the floors in 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 a movie like that that's such a traditional climactic trope is the escalation of action mirroring what you're seeing in the film Mm -hmm. so that that the heightening of the third act takes place in a high suspended area in this case the rooftop but everybody's being forced up the building so we kind of get that we're being forced up the building until we get to the rooftop climax and that's how we know we're at the climax right but with the time signature and with the way the movie plays out and this is where i'm going to be a darren is that there's just what? Are, what the fuck is happening during all that spare time? <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm. I don't think you're being a Darren at all. Like, or maybe I am too. But sometimes it would just be like a random. Like I, I'm like I, I don't know what this means. Like I don't know what this time means, and the, that like it no longer. Sometimes the location wouldn't be there, but they would be clearly in a different part of the building. I just didn't really get what was yeah. going on. 
Yeah, there's yeah. like the, the, it, the, the criminals are just kind of meandering about and mm. not pressing an assault. And right. then sometimes the survivors are just deciding to leave and go in different apartments. Yeah. So I feel like this is sort of the problem with watching some of Roberta's later films and comparing them to other perhaps more competently made films in the same genre <laughs> right. is she right. just really didn't give a shit. Yeah. And I think it's some of the charm of her films. It's definitely an acquired taste. And I think you see it way more in her early movies where it's just like, okay, we're going to tell this story. It's going to have some unpleasant shit in it. We're going to spend five days filming it, and that's that, and then I'll edit it. And so I mm. think when you think about Tenement in the context of those earlier exploitation films, to me it feels like just a better shot, better funded version of the same thing. So it's like there's a degree of incompetency in a lot of those early exploitation movies that I think is part of their charm but totally if you're not used to watching them and then you watch one of her later movies and you think you know okay I'm going to be seeing just a different version of Assault on Precinct 13 you definitely will notice stuff like that where you're like well this could be better done and it's like yeah it could but then it wouldn't be a Roberta Finlay movie sure yeah so I'm, I'm definitely with you like it just doesn't make sense to be nitpicky like that. Yeah, this yeah, type of Darren. Movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I'm with it. That, that would be the only th- like, yeah, that's no, it's, I, I it's a nitpick. I, I don't actually care about it. It's I find stuff like that to be kind of amusing, which mm-hmm. my like the I would say probably the genre that I really connected with first when I first got like super into movies was Euro horror. Because Euro horror has all the shit that makes no sense. And I think it can be really frustrating if you are used to watching Hollywood movies where generally everything happens for a reason. Sure. There's there's always like exposition or an explanation. But I think some of these American exploitation movies are kind of in a way more closely related to that European style of we're just going to throw all of this shit in the movie and if it makes it past the the editing room great and it's it's like i think with some of her later films it can be a little bit frustrating because there is so much just crazy violence and then there are also scenes where it's 5 55 p.m we don't know why we're supposed to care about that and people are just kind of wandering around (laughs) Yeah, the gang the gang does until the violence erupts looks like how I spent most of my mid twenties. <laughs> what? Like snorting cocaine off of a switchblade? Yeah, and just like standing around <laughs> sitting around a, a, a like a living quarters that is also a junkyard. I had yeah. all those clothes. I it's just like <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say right Ryan's looking at at everybody's outfits and saying, I had that. Yeah. <laughs> I had one of those. Have that, had that, want that. Yeah, okay. Can can we talk for a second about this this thing that sort of baffles me a little bit, but at the same time, because I'm in it, I feel like I can't look at it objectively, is 
this idea that if you're in any kind of maybe punk or goth or post-punk subculture, your fashion sense has not changed since 1981, maybe since 1979. And I don't understand how that, how like we still have the same clothes that they did in the Warriors and Tenement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because they're fucking cool and they stand uh, the test of time. It's great. It's great. But I don't understand how that happened. I, you know, it ebbs and flows. I think that there's like, you know, like all fashions um, that seem to rock that way and happen that way. But I recall the hardcore punk shows in, you know, the early 2000s being dudes in band t-shirts with cargo shorts on. And then suddenly, like towards the end of their early 2000s. Which was people a terrible started, look. <laughs> ah, totally a terrible look. And then t- towards like 2009, people just started debeating and crusting out and just like getting their style. And then, then they kind of came back stronger. Hmm. But then you look at pictures of 90s like crust bands and death rock bands and people are not nearly as fashionable as they were in the 80s or now. But it is crazy that we just that's the uniform is something that happened in the 70s that. and 80s. Same. Speaking of 70s and 80s post-punk this is a weird observation that probably won't make any sense to anyone, but Mr. Gonzalez kind of looks like the haggard, unholy offspring <laughs> of Eric Estrada and Jazz Coleman from Killing Joke. <laughs> he hmm. does. <laughs> How did you put that together? That is what? very specific. This is yes, beyond it specific. is very specific, and I don't know where it came from but all i know is i look at his face <laughs> and i think of chips yeah, and i, and I love think chips. <laughs> and i think of oh who doesn't like a good potato chip i got ranch all chips the, all the killing joke albums got hot <laughs> chips <laughs> i got barbecue chips not that kind of chips oh. <laughs> <laughs> He does look got- exactly like him, though. I, I also, I love that a lot of these tenement, or not tenement, a lot of these siege movies feature much more, like, diverse casts and characters than a lot of the other horror movies coming out at the at the period, which are, I think, still largely shit like Halloween where it's just all white people in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And although you do have that... <laughs> one of my favorite characters who's this super angry, old, 900-year-old Russian-Jewish lady who beats him yeah. with a baseball bat at the end of the movie. <laughs> I, yeah, she puts yeah. a plan together and everything. Yeah, yeah she, she like does. lures them away. That's... The characters, I really do like the characters in this 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 tenement complex. The heroes, that is, and 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 Washington. I was I I I'd seen I've seen this movie a few times, but I guess I always forget Washington's like story. And just every time I witness that, I, my heart is just like, no, yeah, yeah. I liked him. Yeah, he, he does end up dying, I guess, right? Like he he gets shot in the arm, so I yeah. wasn't really sure. No, he comes back. He Does comes he? back at the very end. Okay. Yeah, he, thro- he throws the door. He throws the door open at the very end, right after you know the Deus Ex Machina lightning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this character. 
Yeah, he's he's fun. You want to root for him. That was like a really. In- I'm sorry. I was just gonna say that was a uh, like con- considering how like we were talking about how incompetent the movie can be. That was actually a really interesting little twist with the one bullet in the chamber um, and him <laughs> oh, getting yeah, shot. All right, I know what you're talking about outfits. Who had the best outfit in this movie? I don't know what her name is, but I feel like the... Disco pants. Yeah, the very unfortunate female gang member who just is pretty much assaulted, though it seems to be consensual, the whole film. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She gets blood smeared on her boobs. A few times. A few times that happens. There's straight up blood lovemaking at one point (laughs) with her. Their bloody breasts. Her outfit, I think, is the best. Yo, her belt? Gotta get it. I need that. (laughs) (laughs) The blood is also a nice accessory. (laughs) Maybe I'll do that for Halloween. I had disco pants like that for a moment, but no longer. I like Paul uh, Calderon's outfit and his, like, open vest thing that he's got with the the red bandana on it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a bandana or is it a hat? Well, no, he has like a hat, but there's like um not a not a head bandana, but like a headband tied around it, right? Is yeah, that what it is? That's sort of what it looks like. Yeah, it could have been a folded over bandana, but it has some sort of like rising sun or something on it. I I I laughed, which you know, finding a spot to laugh in this is probably <laughs> weird. But when the one guy is is ODing, oh my mm-hmm. god. And he's falling over him, and he's like, you all right? And then he's just like, get the fuck off me, and just shoves him to the floor (laughs) as he's dying. Yeah. The whole movie, there's this weird vibe with the gang where it's it's like a little bit like play fighting, and then also a little bit homoerotic, where they're just all like rabbing each other and rubbing on each other and rolling around with each other, and then it'll just burst out into random fights amongst each other mm. it's like what is, what is this gang what are they doing how yeah. are they entertaining themselves they remind me a little bit of the gang in the tenement in uh death wish three where the yep. leader he's not the leader but like the second in command is the giggler <laughs> he, <laughs> he has the most ridiculous outfit like more ridiculous than the ones in this film but also, you just mentioned Paul Calderon, who we should point mm. out. Um, most of the people in this movie didn't really do much else, but he has interesting roles in other kind of New York crime films. Like, he's in mm. Bad Lieutenant, which he actually uh, he made with Ferrara. Um, and King of New York, and so it's mm-hmm. like it's sort of interesting to see a recognizable Pulp Fiction. face. Yes, and went on to be in Pulp Fiction, and I feel like he's one of the only people where you'll look at him and think, "Oh wait, I know this guy." Well, there is Dan Snow, the bald guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Cigarette face from from Toxic Adventure. There's also or cigar face. Sorry. There's you know earlier in the film when they're kicked out of the tenement and they come back and they harass that guy who's outside by himself drinking potato chips yeah so (laughs) early like i i was reading somewhere that allegedly that guy was roberta finlay's boyfriend at the time (laughs) 
<laughs> she was like, okay, get in this scene. You're going to get beat up. What? <laughs> wait, oh, wait. Which, which guy are we talking about? Not potato chips? We're talking about no, one of the guys no. that's like the night strollers. One no, of the guys he's that comes. Not, he's not in the gang. He's a regular. He's like a guy who's hanging out outside. I think he's drinking and is like leaning not, up against a fence. Not the he's, guy. Not the, he, yeah, the, the superintendent like a, guy. No, no, not the superintendent guy. Oh, he's just okay. like He's just like a random guy who has one scene. I just thought it was funny that she put her own boyfriend in. <laughs> Allegedly. Well, you got to get work. My my roommates uh, was was telling me the other uh, more recently. Her her father did a bunch of Degrassi, and oh, like man. directed a lot of Degrassi. So she was telling mm. me about her her experiences. Like a, she would just be in Degrassi episodes as an act as an actress, but as a child, and get like special treatment. But it was like an extra family hustle. It's like yeah, no, like get in here, get make some money. Mm. <laughs> everybody, everybody, get, it's like you're at the punk show. You kick open the back door and let a bunch of people sneak in. <laughs> I kind of doubt he was paid, though. <laughs> right. That's also right. <laughs> Get in the scene. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> why? Why did anybody make this movie? You know, there, there's uh, one of our favorites. Is what is it? Uh, Fight for your life, right? Um, also, what did, I forget its other titles, but with um. Uh, that's like a home invasion black exploitation movie and it's rape revenge elements as well but i i i went on a deep dive of like reading about that movie and the cast believed in the movie the cast were like no we need Mm. to make this we think it's gonna be a good thing uh let's do this let's like make this exploitation movie i'm trying to remember that movie that wasn't the one with the 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 guy from blade runner is it it is um what is it? Well, I forget his name. I forget it too. But yeah, okay. But yeah, that's that's the movie. But the, mm-hmm. the cast really believed in making that. Uh, that's hard to wanted. that's kind of hard to believe, I guess. Like having seen that William, movie, William Sanderson is the guy. Okay, he's in everything. Yeah, yeah. he's a good I, am, I love Deadwood. He's the wormy mayor in Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, he's so good. All right, but it, uh, sorry, we, it sounds like we're losing steam, and we're also probably getting on editing time, but there's still a lot to say about this movie. How high on the mean-spirited scale is Tenement? I mean, I like a lot of mean-spirited movies, so I, I, I feel like my understanding of that term is a little biased, like okay. I'm kind of jaded. But no, I you're think- in the right company. I think we might all share that. Okay, good. Well, in that case, I feel two ways about it. I, I think people's attitude that this is, you know, super extreme and super over the top, like, it's kind of exaggerated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, there is the awful scene in the beginning where a lady is raped and killed with a broom handle, but that's the most awful thing that happens in the whole movie it's not a super graphic sequence, thankfully, but other than that, it's like somebody Oof. gets stabbed in the dick, and again, it's like all of the violence is implied. It's it's not like she didn't put, and she never, throughout her career, put money into effects. So it's not like 
Cannibal Holocaust style where you're seeing all these really oh, graphic yeah. things. So, you know, I think it's super mean-spirited, but it's not... I don't think it's in, like, the upper echelon of mean-spirited movies. Is it because of the level of seriousness that can be applied to it? Like, Because I, I think this movie, for as really twisted as it is, is kind of, like, fun, and it's low-budget, and it's schlocky, yeah. but it's, like, it's fun. You have kids fighting back against the criminals and, like, escaping. You have multicultural old t- yeah old lady all the people you would think would be picked off real quickly are the ones maybe that not all of them but like a mm. lot of them survive uh you know it's just like kind of fun in that sense but yeah. the vine violence is heinous kind of like a toxic avengery kind of heinousness yeah it's it's not gestapo's last orgy let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> i can't brave those things you're you're a trooper <laughs> <laughs> a trooper i mean that's probably a, a nice way to put in it, it also contextually maybe the wrong words to use for it but <laughs> yeah, I, I was like okay yeah. <laughs> i'm Sorry. just gonna let that I, slide yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it definitely. It's something darren would say <laughs> ah, i almost made a darren joke about like what Aww. what so a man gets his penis cut off and that's not a problem <laughs> that's what a darren yeah say. <laughs> well so i i feel like actually it's probably relevant to bring darren into it i feel like if you are a darren and you haven't seen a lot of maybe weird movies or low budget or exploitation movies <laughs> then this probably seems super violent and super mean-spirited, and you definitely don't want to watch this on a first date if you're a Darren or a normal person. Mm -hmm. But if you've seen a lot of horror and exploitation movies, it's like, yeah, there's some rough stuff, but it's it's a fun movie. Yeah, it's definitely schlocky. I'm going to marry the person that I watch this (laughs) as a first date with. Like, that's, that's an indicator right there. Yeah. You know, it's funny of all the, the scenes, like the, the, the kills and the blood and everything like that. The, the one that actually made me cringe a little bit was the, um, the overdose scene, just cause I don't know what it was, but that arm, it looked like a real, like someone was shooting up for real. I was like, what the hell is going on here? It is. So I don't know what, like what, what the story was behind that, but yeah, it was definitely the more like, I'm like, that's definitely a needle going into someone's vein right now. Real quick shout out. Our friend Mike Jalo Grind, Jalo Grind uh, uh, has a streaming marathon once a week, every Wednesday. You can catch it now if you're hearing this episode. But he actually played this episode, and it was through our group conversation uh, that we found out that that was a real stunt, though I don't know any of the context. Sam, do you have better context? Um, my understanding is that in some of, I, like, not tenement specifically but in a lot of these kind of lower budget seedy urban movies is they would everyone was doing heroin well (laughs) there's that but or shooting up other things but i i think they would just like it would appear that someone was being injected and it would be like a needle in an arm but not nothing was going into said arm it's fucked up in, in most movies, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, they definitely could not have afforded any kind of, like, 
prosthetic fake arm effects type of deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. It actually just looked like they, uh, like, took some blood and just shot it back into their vein or something. Yeah. Either that, way, I uh, agree with you. It's 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 definitely kind of like I don't have a problem getting shots or having my blood taken, so it's not it's not like that kind of phobia, but. Mm-hmm watching people shoot up in movies when it's really graphic it's always a little like oh. yeah i know witnessing mm. it in real life is also very difficult mm-hmm. uh yes the uh oh, oh joe that reminds me we, we got to talk about prevention point at some point but that can happen elsewhere just remind me um the shit this fucking movie so gritty Yes. <laughs> I, is this? Uh, go ahead. No, no, please, please. I've been talking too much. I was just gonna say I was sort of kind of going back and forth with myself on how to rate it on the mean spirit scale, and I wasn't sure if the fact that I ultimately ended up having it at kind of like you know, a four was uh, said something about me. Like on a one one out of... Yeah, it seems like everybody kind of had the same thing, so... I feel Wait, one now. one out of what? Uh, but like like, like, a, like a, on, on a like a one to ten scale. Yeah, like a, on right? a ten scale. Eleven being the fucking, the little extra rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, alright, so what could you guys each give me an example of one thing that would be like a 10? I already said Gestapo's last orgy. So I, I guess that that probably for me is, is hmm. counts as a nine or a 10 because it's, it's pretty bad. That's a great question. I, I want everybody else to go first though. <laughs> Not to put you guys on the spot. I just, I'm always like genuinely. Oh, I'm loaded. Curious. I'm ready. I'm always genuinely curious, and I feel like this is the sort of thing that, like, I... So, I don't always have very good social skills, and I I think, like, a lot of, you know, movie nerds, and I think sometimes I accidentally or inadvertently offend people because I don't find things offensive mm-hmm. when maybe, like... Everybody has a different scale, and so it's always interesting to me to find out what someone else's scale is. Okay. No, I, I love that. I, I am. I'm ready to throw these answers out, guys. Mm. I, I'll say like, I can't really. Ugh, I don't know. I haven't seen too many like really bad ones, I guess. But maybe like Henry uh, would be a ten for yeah. me, or up yeah. there at least. The home invasion sequence in that movie is pretty pretty upsetting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, do you have any in particular? I'm trying to think. Henry would definitely be something I would put I would put more up there. Um, yeah. It's it's a I lot. I guess anything I mean, with the you know, a lot of the the cannibal movies just for the animal hmm. death, that's always Yeah. charming. Um <laughs> <laughs> I think intrusion was rough for me. Uh, 
just so yes you just, did not like that <laughs> no i mean i had a blast wa- tearing john to pieces while yeah. watching it with with it was just bobby and hannah were there so it's just you know john showing it to a couple of ladies that he's never met in his life mm. just <laughs> making them watch that so that's fun but yeah. uh <laughs> yeah i skipped out on that that i i do agree um fuck damaging i i, I find uh Enter the Void a bit difficult, mostly because of childhood trauma and incest. Those those things are all over that movie. And I only watched I the would, beginning of that movie. I forgot. I, I need to go back and watch the whole thing. <clears throat> you know, it's not for everyone. It's it's one of my favorites, but I know it's not for everyone. But uh, I, yeah. I know a lot of people who had, or at least a couple of people, who had a lot of trouble with that movie because of the car crash scene, because of yes. how, yes. like... The honest violence of, of physical, it, yeah, that that harp that it's and it always it's the jarring. best it's the best jump scare in any movie ever, and it just always scares me. Oh uh, yeah, it's well. fucking brutal. If you've ever been in a car wreck like that or similar like that, it's it's triggering as well. Hmm. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. So that that would be mine. But like intrusion in that, and then also Henry is up there. Strangely, I kind of in. And I'm bad. I'm very bad for saying this out loud, but you know, we're all friends here. Uh, Serbian film. I kind of enjoy it. Mm. It's funny. I think it's supposed. It is. To be it's starkly comic. Yes. Yes. Thank fucking Christ. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Yes, it is. And it goes the extra mile, but it does it tastefully. Like it doesn't I mean, do. It's, it's beautifully shot. Yes. It's supposed to like. It's. I find it impossible to think that those scenes of the baby rape are in any way meant to be serious. Like they're so ridiculously over the top and they're so over the top. It's clearly a prosthetic baby who looks yeah. ridiculous and not like a real baby. Like it's yes. supposed to be funny. And mm. it's quick. I, I think the movie has a demented sense of humor. I think it's like Yeah, I don't think it's as edge lord as it gets the credit for. I know our, our friend Agreed. Bruce watches weirder shit than that, right? Shot on video kind of stuff. Where's yeah, Bruce? Yeah, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's most of, like, so he's he's been my, I, I live by myself, so he's been my quarantine buddy, and <laughs> I think I said this earlier, but I've been having such a hard time watching movies that aren't for work, which is very unlike me. Normally when I'm stressed out, I'm like, I'm going to sit on the couch and watch four movies in a row. <laughs> but for all of quarantine, basically anytime I watch movies, I'm usually watching shot on video horror with him. And the stuff in there, it's also usually very kind of like lighthearted and comical. Like, yeah. I don't think the director necessarily means for it to be, but it has yeah. something. I think a lot of that shot on video horror does have a lot in common with tenement in the sense that the subject matter is if you just say you know oh here's a woman where in the first here's a movie where in the first 10 minutes a woman is raped with a broom handle it sounds horrible but when you watch it like when you watch the whole movie there is that sort of kind of silly more lighthearted tone and to me mm-hmm. that's all of shot on video horror like yeah there's some really delightful effects but you with there's almost none of it that you watch and feel gross afterwards right 
Oh, I thought of my, my 10 or 11. It finally came to me. Sorry to derail. No, no. no. What is it? The Butcher, Korean uh, found footage movie from like 2007 about uh, these people that are kind of abducted in like a hostile style. They wake up and they have found footage camera things on their heads, like helmets on their heads. And there's like a man with a pig mask and a chainsaw who's like chasing them around. That movie crosses the line in every way. And and I've never seen it. Yeah, neither have I. Deeply upsetting. That movie, like I think Serbian film is more enjoyable than The Butcher. The I, and I guess if you want to do that to yourselves, I won't spoil <laughs> what happens. But the traumatic moment in that movie is unforgivable. I don't think anybody, like I don't think it really deserves. Like it's fucked up. Is it like Men Behind the Sun level? No. Well, I like that. That's but that's like the. the there's no animal cruelty in it. Uh, but and it's not historical at all. It's it's like torture porn. It's like post Rob Zombie, mm. Eli Roth, but like South Korean filmmaking shit. Mm. And it just sure. goes. It it's the one that goes a little too far. Um, and they do it with like a found footage, so you see the perspective of the pe- the survivors and their. It's just like it's like the grossness of Saw sequels, where they're grinding up pig guts and drowning people in them, but with like violent issues that we are seeing in tenement and also henry portrait of a serial killer and shit like that hmm. yeah it's, stuff it's, like that that all that torture porn i find it to be very boring mm-hmm. like it just unless it's like something like a serbian film where there is that kind of black comedy and zippy pace and yeah, and better production values, but so much of it, it's like the plots, they don't have any real characters. There are people who are there to either torture and kill other people or to be tortured and killed. It's like so two-dimensional. Mm. I strangely have a soft spot for Hostel Part 2. Like it's it's I not good, so but I I do and I don't kind of like it. that. Hey, this is more fun. This is quicker. It's better. I think it's it's certainly better written and edited, but you know, it's not a good movie, but I, I got a little bit of a soft spot for it. Just cuz it's it, it gets out of the torture and kill thing at a certain point and becomes just a little more fun. But it's not good. <laughs> Speaking of men behind the sun, we got treated to Black Sun the Nanking massacre oh. not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, for for John's birthday. Yeah, that was fun. One. <laughs> Ate some acid, and then that came on. That was good. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that's no. I re- I was way into it. I really liked mm-hmm. it. I thought it was. I was surprised. I was always I- sc- scared of it, and then I, the, the conversation of the two generals sitting down talking about their opposing views was like Dylan and I were just like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is amazing. <laughs> this is Criterion level amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did that one have the horrible frog scene? No, right? No, that was... Um, that evening was a blur for me, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just as you said that, I remembered what <laughs> Oh, Sam, for, this is all getting cut out, but for context, uh, we, we, you know, it was a birthday party, we all got together to do marathons, kind of like you do. Mm-hmm. We're all sitting together, but, uh, you know, our, our Charles, our friend Charles had this tincture of weed that he got from my old roommate who I, and I knew it was dangerous and I was trying to warn everybody, but somehow like, and I, my warning didn't reach Andrew. Mm-hmm. And then Charles, while I was out smoking a cigarette, gave everybody a bunch and Andrew drank 
I guess a like bunch. a glass of it. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Andrew was Andrew and his wife were so nice enough to put us up, let all of us idiots crowd the living room of the apartment and watch movies. And Andrew just passed the fuck out in like a terrified stone state. <laughs> yeah. And we're just there wrecking the place. It was a good time. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Like that that definitely happens at some of my marathons where. There's always somebody who is accidentally too stoned, and it, it's like like always from an edible or something. Mm. And so there's usually always one mm. person like quietly on the couch, <laughs> terrified. Yeah, yeah, that was me, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it, I, I I think I said it before, but it was like you had never seen a movie yeah. on the screen before. Like, Did anyone else see these fucking things moving? Yeah. <laughs> oh. All right. Thumbs up for Tenement? Yes. I, I, yes. Yeah, if I'm going to say I, I enjoyed it. So even though it was schlocky and, um, you know, like you can see that, I guess Roberta Finley didn't really give a fuck uh still enjoyable time um in the deranged versus tenement death match who wins <laughs> wait did we all do thumbs up oh i thought we were all collectively so i just said thumbs up and you were the only one that didn't say anything oh really wait what did sam yes. say oh i yes. said yes oh. i also yeah. i have to say i am relieved that everyone is on the same page about tenement mm. oh yeah we're yeah you're in good you know it, it's it's sort of like going on a podcast mm. with i mean i know ryan but going on a podcast with people you don't know and recommending that everybody watch a movie like this like it could, <laughs> have, it could easily have gone another way yeah so i'm delightfully surprised that was fun oh. wait did you um Sam, did you did you say your your ten out of ten or on your ten scale movie? Um, it probably is. I guess there would maybe be a couple of things, but probably Gestapo's Last Orgy is okay. A good kind of stand-in because it's you know it's unpleasant and graphic. Hmm. In its unpleasantness. I think the name says it all. It really doesn't. It has to be seen to be believed. <laughs> and well, just for shit. the record, Darren has two reviews for Friday the 13th. That son of a bitch. And they're both threes. Out of five, yes. Hmm. All right. What? Did, why doesn't he like? Why does he have two reviews? A and B. What's his problem? <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait! I'm sorry. He actually has three. How do you? Why? Because you can do rewatch reviews uh. in case your opinion changes. Well, I can't. And argue his that. his his one from September is. There must be an original script somewhere with Crazy Ralph being the killer. Crazy Ralph would also be a great replacement for Jason. Wait, is Crazy Ralph Jason's dad? Oh my oh god. Boy. What? 
one of those people. Mm. Oh, oh dear. Also, cra- Crazy Ralph, another reason I miss Mahoning. Hmm. Is that where well, he is now? Yeah, they, they do the, the, the Camp Blood weekend, and they always get somebody to dress oh, as okay. Crazy Ralph, and they do a game, you gotta go find him. Okay. And he's hiding somewhere, and he's like riding around on a bicycle. That's, that's neat. It's, yeah, it's so neat. It's the best. I'll be sure to tell him this year, surprise, you're actually Jason's dad. <laughs> <laughs> because Darren said so. Oh, man. Um, all right. Yeah, this range is, this versus is... Tenement. Oh, wait. Before we do that, did Ryan, did you give uh, Tenement? Thumbs up. Way okay. big thumbs up. Okay. I've loved this movie. I, there was a lot I wanted to say about it. I didn't get the chance, but I encountered this movie in college at the TLA in Philadelphia and based on its cover, and I, I, just, I fell in love with it. It was like very, very important moment of getting into independent sleaze schlocksploitation mm. cinema for, for me. It was like the, another further step into those genres. So it's an important movie to me. Awesome. Deranged versus Tenement. <laughs> Fuck! This is so hard. hard. Yeah, alright. I'm gonna go first. <laughs> go for I, it. I have to say Deranged, and I feel bad saying that because I love Roberta Finlay and I have a lot of loyalty towards her. So, I... I feel like I should say Tenement. Also, it was my suggestion that we watch it. But I think Deranged is just the more competently made film. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it has some of the same kind of unpleasantness and definitely some of the unexpectedly funny moments, but it's just such a beautifully shot film Robert's Blossom is incredible, so I, I feel like I have to give this one to Deranged. Ryan? Fuck, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Both of these movies are important to formidable. It's... One of them, I, you know, Tenement, I encountered on my own in uh, at the wonderful section at the TLA in, in college, like my, my freshman year of college, so like two, 2006 or something. Then the next, and, and then Deranged, I discovered living in 210 with like Charles. 210 is a place I lived. It was like a weird eight, eight autonomous punky adjacent house. There's just constant open doors, different people coming in and out. And that was just one of our movies there. Ah. So I feel it's like deranged. you with Tenement. I, well, if it's a chronological world, <laughs> saying all of those things out loud, deranged is going to be my choice because of its competence, competency. And uh, I'm, I, I think I prefer, I used to be an 80s exploitation horror person. And now I'm more of a 70s exploitation horror person. Hmm. Deranged. Deranged is my answer. Okay. Andrew. Um, I'm going to go with deranged. I I'd had seen deranged before. Tenement was a first time viewing for me. Um, oh, and uh, but yeah, I, I feel like Zarange just kind of I enjoyed it so much. Um, hits a lot of I don't know, like checks a lot of boxes for me for a movie that I'd want to see, and it's so wacky and fun. I really liked it. 
Yep. I, it's deranged for me also. Um, Whoa. But, but I will say that uh, it's a a closer race than I might have thought mm. because Deranged is a movie that I've seen a whole bunch of times that you know I've loved for a long time. But I really enjoy Tenement. I don't know if that's the yeah. right thing to say, but I really yeah. no, no, I, I, I really like that. I Tenement's great. That was a solid it choice. All right. Well, fuck. God damn, we're at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. I hope we didn't waste too much of your time, Sam. No, this was so much fun. Anytime you guys are in need of guests. <laughs> Famous last words. And you want someone to bring up Christmas nine million times. <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> Christmas in July. Uh, okay. Sam, do you have anything anything you want to talk about, let people know about? Um, this episode drops next Friday. Okay, let me see. I I'm really awful about remembering what has been announced and what hasn't so like i don't want to say oh yes totally pick this up and have it not be announced yet um Mm. vinegar syndrome's like what the fuck i know and that that is whose spot i would accidentally blow up uh they're the best so coming out at the end of the month is a very very long overdue blu-ray of roman polanski's the tenant uh, Shout Factory is putting that out. I have a video essay uh, included in that release, and I'm actually working on a book about the tenant, which should be out, I guess, next year um, after my current book. Uh, other than that, I also just did a super, super long commentary for this really amazing uh Hungarian film called Mephisto that's really more of sort of like a Hungarian German European co-production about this actor who's sort of forced to collude with the Nazis uh, and it's another film that really is long overdue for a proper release that will be out soon and I think that's all I can mention right now. That's incredible. That's it. I feel that's... like that was lame. I'm. I always feel bad because I'm like I. As soon as I work on something, it's like out of my brain. So I. I always feel like I. I know flounder. the feeling. Yeah, I always feel like I flounder whenever anyone asks me. It's also like a lot of the stuff I've been doing recently has been more kind of classic. 40s and 50s cinema with Kino Lorber, and I feel like that's not really. Oh, props to them, though. No, 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 it does. It does. It does more than you think. Okay. Fuck. God damn. That's like no sweat off your your, your brow right there. You know, it's like, yeah, these are the little things I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's how it feels to me. Well, I moved from a dining room to a, a, a p- kitchen pantry. That's where. Oh that's yeah, I was wondering thing. what your upgrade was going to be. <laughs> so you're Harry Potter, basically. <laughs> yes, but I bought a 50 inch TV, and now my bedroom is a movie theater. I'm living a childhood fantasy. It's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Joe, <Don't> tell the. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sam, Sam, we're working off a script. It's uh, secretly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, am I, uh, yeah. Late Night Psychorama. You can find us at uh, Instagram and Facebook. And uh, you can reach us at Gmail at late night psychorama at gmail.com. And night oh spelled N I T E. And if you've if you've listened to this, you you you've liked this. Just like and subscribe in any way. If you're our friend, just do it. If you're a stranger and you do it, we just oh my god, just be our friend. Uh, and then also, if you're just a hater and you do it, well, maybe I'll give you some ground to talk. But uh, don't be a Darren. Be a a weaponized Karen. <laughs> for the better and just do a service and like and review us and also if you can donate to anything right now do that if you can read about anything do that if you can support people do that thank you will the watch along for this be thursday like it was last time yes yes it will i i don't know if the time but it won't matter because we will have dropped the episode after the watching along but yes, we do watch along now. Uh, look, uh, uh, ah, shit. All we need is sleaze. Instagram, follow it. If you want to watch yes. watch alongs every time before we watch a movie, and you watch it, or before we do a podcast, and you watch the movies, all we need is sleaze at Instagram. Follow that shit. Yeah. Uh, the next episode. We will be with Insane Mike and Jason from the Attack of the Killer podcast, who are also our prescribed film podcast network overlords. Oh, no, our boss is coming. <laughs> Everybody around the boss is here. Uh, we're going to be covering Horror Express and Neon yeah. Maniacs. Hell yeah. Yo, Sam, thank you so much for being here. It was really a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and letting me ramble on without, you know, just disconnecting the internet or something. <laughs> <laughs> nope. That's what we what we enjoy, and we appreciate you coming on with us. Thank you. Yeah, of course. All right, everybody. Good night. Yeah. Get out. Good night. Good night.